This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Omar. Hi, Omar. Welcome. Hi, Annie. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great. It's really cool. So today, I, um, we know each other in various ways, but today I get to hear your story, which is cool because I feel like we've, I've done most of the talking previously, so I'm really excited. Yes. Well, that was the idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why don't you take me all the way back, uh, back to kind of where, where everything started for you, your first drink, your childhood, that sort of thing. Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, my first drink, I was 16 and a half years old. Uh, I was in between uh, my sophomore year and my junior year. So a uh, very awkward time in my life. I would say that, that most of my childhood was really awkward. Um, I would say that I was, for, for most accounts, people would say that I was extroverted and outgoing and funny and like an entertainer. Um, but, you know, by the time I got to that age, by the time I got into high school, I was actually a lot more introverted, a lot more, uh, fearful. Um, I had a lot of insecurities. And so there was this adjustment period in my life where I was kind of lost. I was, I was really, really lost as a kid. Um, I guess the best way to describe it is I didn't really have an identity. I guess you could say I was having some sort of an identity crisis. I didn't know where I fit in. I, didn't, I wasn't good at sports, so I wasn't a jock, you know, and I wasn't very popular, so I wasn't with the Soshis, right? So I, I kind of gravitated towards the geeks and the nerds, you know. Um, I mean, this is my best haircut, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bald, so I, I've shaved my head completely. But, you know, I used to have this real kind of kinky hair, tough to comb, a lot of acne, it was just, it was like that, that was basically growing up and, and I got picked on and bullied a lot too as a kid. So when I, when I got my first job, I got my first job at Carl's Jr. And so I got a uniform and I was just like everybody else. Like for the first time in my life, I was just like everybody else. And I got invited to my first party and um, there when I walked in the door and I, I really wasn't I guess you could say I wasn't drinking. That was my first drink. I was 16 and a half years old. I hadn't drank before. I'd taken sips before and really didn't like the taste of beer. I was like, ugh, right? Um, but somebody said, hey, do you want a beer? And I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll drink that. And, you know, I got halfway through that beer and everything changed. Everything changed. I just felt a part of, I felt comfortable all the fear and all that negative self-talk and all of that um, insecurity just kind of lifted, just kind of lifted in that, in that moment. And a part of me started to kind of surface, right? And there was like this childlike essence that was really who I authentically am. You know, as a kid, that's what I did. I was like a little performer. Uh, my dad used to say, hey, Omar, dance for us. Hey, play the guitar for us. Hey, sing Elvis Presley for us. Um, and so that was really, that's kind of like who I am. Like authentically, I'm an entertainer and I like the spotlight on me and I like to make people laugh and I like to entertain people. 
and something happened along the way and I became ashamed of that or afraid of that or, or however you want to call it. So there was definitely some, you know, mild trauma in my childhood that all lifted when I drank. And so the decision was made there in that moment that I was going to be drinking alcohol for the rest of my life. This was the, this was the solution. This is the answer to everything. This makes me feel whole because for so many years, as the years went on, I was feeling more and more not whole. Um, and so really that was, that was really my first experience with drinking. It was magical. I loved every minute of it. And so then you went on from there and, and you were like, okay, great. This is good. Um, and it's interesting too, because I think that we do that by the way, as kids is we come out just perfectly fine and great and normal and being fully ourselves. And then the world, whoever the world might be in our lives, whether it's, it's um, people at school or our parents or our friends or any other people of influence kind of tell us, Oh no, that's, that's not right. You should be this way. And we end up feeling really um, disconnected with who we're supposed to be. And it creates a lot of internal drama because we don't have the tools yet to live really authentically. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, you drink something that kind of turns down everybody else's voice and it's like, okay, this feels, this feels good. I mean, is that sort of your experience? Yeah. Uh, the noise went away, which is how will the people see me? How are the people view me? What are those, what do the people think of me? What I should be doing? What my grades should be like? All of these things, the noise disappears. And when that noise disappears, that version of you, that is the true version of you, the truth, it just, it starts to surface. And so I ran with that, you know, I ran with that. And fortunately, you know, my parents, my family, my dad's Colombian, my mom's Cuban. I come from a Latino background. So lots of drinking, you know, so there was never really this idea, concept or conversation about alcoholism or it being a problem. It's a, it was a rite of passage. It was what we did. It was when we got together, it was, we get wasted. And, um, and it re literally it was, it was, you know, start drinking beers and then we move to shots and then we move to whatever, right. Until somebody passes out or throws up or gets thrown out or whatever the case may be. Um, so it was just very, very normal. And all of a sudden that became my new normal. My new normal was you go out, you get wasted. So whether I was with my family or whether I was at a high school party or was out at a college party, the idea was to go and get wasted. That was it. Yeah. And pick up chicks. Right. So that was the two objectives. That was it. I wasn't really too concerned with getting good grades or what I was going to do with my life or graduating from college. So a lot of me, you could say that I've been a seeker my whole life. I've been searching for something, looking for something. <clears throat> and many, many years later, I found out that, you know, what I was looking for was me. I was trying to find me. I was trying to find out who I was, what my place in this world is. Um, and it's taken, you know, many years to, to figure that one out. Um, I've gotten a lot closer, but I'm, I'm still on the journey. But imagine back then, no idea what I was going to do. Um, I changed my major in college like five times. I just could not. I would get to a certain point where the curriculum would get really, really difficult. And then that little voice would come in and say, man, see, school's not for you, man. You're not smart enough for this. You're not good enough for this. You know, we got to do something else. 
you know, we got to go get a job. Right. Um, and for me, money meant freedom. You know, I, um, parents, you know, very strict. Uh, my mother's Jehovah's witness and my dad, uh, very machista, you know, it comes from that background. So it was a lot of control. I mean, I come from, uh, uh, an upbringing of a lot of control. Um, and so I wanted to get control of my life. I wanted freedom. And I knew that, you know, to have that kind of freedom, I needed my own place. I needed my own car. I needed my own money. So it's like, aha, that's the solution. I just need to make a lot of money, you know? And so the pursuit of money began. It began pretty early on, probably about the age of 14. I got my first job around 14 years old. And I've been working ever since, you know, and I mean, I'll do just about anything. And it's just series of jobs that I would do as a, as a waiter, as a bus boy, as a grocery store clerk, as a car salesman, as a door-to-door rain soft salesman, as a mortgage broker, as a real estate agent, you know, so there's all these different things that I've done in my life to kind of evolve. And so you know, in in intermixed with all that is this the the social structure, the the alcoholism. So there was always alcohol. It doesn't matter what my job was. It was like, hey man, let's go after work and get a beer. Hey, let's go get a beer. Let's go do this and let's. There's a party over here. It was always that was part of the culture, and especially in the industries that I was in, the restaurant business, the mortgage business, the sales business, lots of alcohol consumption, right? Lots of pressure. Um, and the need to let off steam. So a lot of the searching about the, the, a lot of the searching and seeking for myself got lost in the pursuit of money in the pursuit of success, um, which ultimately left, led me here to, to Costa Rica. Um, my big consequence was getting arrested for a DUI. Like I, I remember I was about 25 years old. Um, I was, I think I was a manager at a Mexican restaurant in Brentwood, California. Uh, the restaurant that I worked for was Caddy Corner from the Mezzaluna. Uh, for those of you that remember the Mezzaluna, that's when OJ killed his wife or allegedly. Um, so that I was working there when all that went down. So there was this, like, this big wow. hype. In, was that? I said, wow. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was pretty intense. Right. And so it erupted all the social, all this media shows up over there and I'm working at this restaurant. Um, and there was, there was this part of me that would look around and, and just marvel at how different I was from everybody else, because especially in California, in Brentwood and Beverly Hills, man, it is, you could be light years away from the people that are in there. You know, when we're talking about money and success and the way they carry themselves and what they wear and how they act and, you know, this constant need to like, when am I going to get there? When am I going to be like them? When am I going to make that kind of money? When am I going to be that successful? Am I going to ever be that successful? Could I ever be that successful? And so tormented with those thoughts, Alcohol always managed to squash that. I mean, at the end of the day, I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Like I was never, ever going to figure this out. Like I was going to be on this planet and I was going to spend the whole time here trying to figure it out. And chances are, I'm never going to figure it out. Right. And, and, and so 
I would smoke some pot. Pot kind of came into the mix a little bit here. Um, but it was like a weekend thing and the alcohol was, was a mix and, and I was a blackout drinker. And so there I was working at this restaurant and watching all this kind of stuff going on and these Hollywood stars and OJ Simpson. And I just kind of got lost in it. Right. I just got lost in it. And, you know, I used to, I used to steal from the restaurant. You know, I used to be, I, you know, once I got, I, I, I figured out the system, I would be able to back tickets out. So if somebody paid in cash, I would just take some stuff off, you know, um, and then, you know, pocket the money at the end of the night. So, I mean, I was making good money living in LA, driving a nice Jeep, you know, and I was just, it was this constant need for approval. Look at me, look at me, look at me, right? Because I can't look at me, right? So somebody else look at me and somebody else tell me, cool Jeep, man. Nice apartment, man. Like, oh, you're the manager here. Oh, that's so cool. Right? Like, oh, just this desperate need for validation and approval over and over year after year. It just never, never ended. Um, and so one day I ended up getting a DUI and ended up in jail because, you know, I just get caught up in this whole thing. And I just remember waking up in jail, 12 other guys in a cell and thinking to myself, this is never going to happen to me again. Like I'm never, never going to do this again. And I didn't, I didn't, end, I never got another DUI. I never ended up in jail again. Um, and so long as I was living in California, I was very cautious about separating my driving from my drinking. Then I moved to Costa Rica to open up an online casino and sports book. And then my life just completely just, I, it went completely into a tailspin. Within four years of my life, moving to Costa Rica, I'd opened up an online casino. I developed a huge cocaine addiction. I gotten married. Um, I ran the business into the ground. I lost all my friends. I lost my wife. It was just this whole cocaine rock star story. And really it was all because I was searching for me. You know, when I moved to Costa Rica, I became this casino owner, sort of gangster, outlaw, rebel, you know, um, trying to attach myself to any identity that would make me feel significant, that would make me feel as though I mattered. And it seemed like every move I made just made it worse. You know, so ultimately I just, it was, you know, you have your rock bottom cocaine moment. I lost everything. <clears throat> my wife was, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, my wife was pregnant at the time. And um, when my daughter was born, that was it. I had an aha moment to end all aha moments. You know, when I held her in my arms, there was this, this unmistakable presence of God that I was holding in my hands. Like that's the first time that I had ever felt God or spirit or spirituality literally in my presence. And it was the first time that I didn't know what, how I was going to do it, but I was going to become a better version of myself. I was going to become someone that she could be proud of. I was going to become a good, a good man, a good father. I just had no idea how I was going to do it. No idea how I was going to do it. Desperate, though, to leave a legacy that was not of death or wreckage or disappointment or disgrace. Um, I knew that I had had enough of that. In, in my life. So she became like my North star, 
she became my North Star. And I got involved in, in 12-step recovery. I, I joined Narcotics Anonymous. And NA, man, that, that was the game changer for me. That was, that was everything. You know, I, uh, I went there. I sat in a meeting. It was my first meeting at Narcotics Anonymous. I remember like it was yesterday. I was sitting in a room with five other guys a lot older than me that I would have never spent five minutes with ever. They were just weird and old. And this was this little tiny little place called Anchor Club in downtown San Jose, Costa Rica. It was upstairs on the second floor. There was two rooms, one for AA, one for NA. Um, and I walked in there and I sat down. I said, my name's Omar. Uh, I'm an addict and I need help. Right. Um, and they said, you're in the right place. We can help you, right? And then they started sharing their story. Started sharing their story. And one after the other, I was like, oh, my God. These guys are telling my story. Like, I think, I actually think they can help me. I actually think that this is it. I think that this is the answer. Um, and it was. It was. For me, 12 Steps was the answer, and it continues to be the answer. Um, and even though today, uh, you know, I have my own opinions about 12 steps and the effect it has on people, especially people that are new walking in the door, and I, I'd be more than glad to share that with you. But at that time in my life, I was ready to put a gun in my mouth. That's where I was at. Prior to my daughter being born, I was ready to put a bullet in my mouth and I was ready for the next, for the next life. She gave me the first hope and they gave me the second hope. And so it didn't matter what they told me. Okay. If they would have said, you have to believe in leprechauns and you have to wear a skirt and you have to dye, you know, I didn't have any hair. Right. But you know, whatever, right. This is what you have to do. I would have said, yeah, sure, man. Whatever you tell me, it's this beautiful thing that I call the gift of desperation. And until someone, at least for me, at least for me, until I reach that point of, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, because everything that I have done up until this point has led me here mm -hmm. to a point where I cannot make one positive decision at all in my life about anything. And I've got a baby and I've got a wife that's kicked me out of the house and I don't have a business and I don't have an income. I don't have anything except for her. And so I'm going to come up and say, well, you know, I, I'm okay with this, but I, I don't know if I'm okay with that. Right. I just didn't feel like I had a, a choice. These guys were all smiling and laughing and telling their story. I mean, like horrible stories and they're just laughing. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. And then, you know, but today, you know, my life is beyond my wildest dreams. And I'm like, how does that happen? Oh my God. So how it happens is you just, you just surrender. I surrendered, okay? I had to surrender to the fact that I thought I knew something and I had to forget everything that I had learned. I had to forget everything that I knew and I had to forget everything that I believed about myself. I had to forget all that. I had to leave it at the door. And I had to embrace the, the idea and the belief that, you know what, there was probably a different way for me to live my life that had nothing to do with my point of view. And it was probably going to be for the best. So I got myself a sponsor. I took all his suggestions. I worked the steps. I met with him every week. My life started to change. 
I kept working the steps. As I became a sponsor, my life continued to change. I got better. I got a job. I started making great money. I mean, everything started to happen the way they told me it was going to happen. They said, you hear the only promise is the, is the, the, um, the promise of freedom from active addiction. Everything else is just a bonus, right? So you can lean in on the AA promises, but here's what we promise you. And that's what happened, right? And I was able to start making good decisions for myself. And I was able to start developing good friendships and good relationships. And I was able to follow directions. And I was able to ask for help, which is also a very, very key element in sobriety. You can't, I couldn't do it alone. I had to ask for help. I had to humble myself, which a lot of people don't like the word humble. Humble just means teachable. So if you want to just use, I had to become teachable. So I had to say, hey, I don't know how to live my life. Can you help me? Yeah, I can show you. Okay. Um, and then through working the steps, I had, I, I had an opportunity. I got an opportunity finally to discover me. I got a chance to find myself in those pages and in the work for the first time. And that was where the first big changes came. And so I took all that growth and I look, took all that learning and I took all that information and I became a great father and I became a community leader and I became a great sponsor and I worked the program uh, vigilantly and rigorously and vigorously. Um, and I was the poster child for 12 step recovery. When people would come into the rooms, right? Most of the time they would just send them to me. What I had found in 12 steps was the ability to detach myself from the dogma, from the bullshit, from the, from the negativity, from people criticizing, you know, because it's all true. It's all there. There's plenty of dogma and it's antiquated and it's old world and it needs to be changed and it needs new leadership. And that's all true too. It's all true. Everything's true. But I wasn't concerned with that at the time. What I was concerned with was that I had something now and I could now give and I could contribute on a much higher level. <clears throat> and so that's what I did. I probably was at some point sponsoring most of the guys in the room because the guys that had really gotten a lot of clean time were like, okay, got mine, I'm out, right? And then the old timers that were there were so antiquated that most people could not relate to their rhetoric and their language. So they would gravitate to somebody who did not take themselves nor the program that seriously. You didn't have to make 90 meetings in 90 days. You didn't have to call me every single day. As a matter of fact, I said, I would rather you didn't call me every single day. Okay. I'm busy. I have a lot of sponsees. So if you can help me out with that, that'd be great. Right? So here's what you need to do. Right? So, Work these steps, meet with me once a week, call me when you're in an emergency and pick five people that you know that you can feel comfortable with and you're gonna call them every day. That's who you're gonna call, cause I'm busy, right? And I had to learn how to respect myself and my time. So that's what I did for about 10 years. So 10 years I was solid and as, as dogmatic as probably any other full-fledged and a Nazi could be without being completely because I, I, I kept my I still kept my my looseness, you know, wear recovery like a loose garden. I still was able to attract guys, but I, I lost my luster. I lost my um, my vigor, so to speak. 
for 12 step recovery. And I didn't know why, like I was 10 years in and I was like, something's missing, man. Like, is this all there is? Right. All these guys, all they say is, you know, you just keep coming back that you just keep coming back and then you just keep working the steps and then you serve and you keep sponsoring other guys. You keep coming back. And I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of my buddies that didn't keep coming back and they're doing just fine. So where's the middle ground here? Right. So I had to start doing some of my own diligence. And then that's when I started to jump into personal development. Uh, I met my wife, my 10 year anniversary, and she's a, she's a, 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 a wellness coach and she's a Reiki healer and she's a yoga practitioner. And she's also, you know, uh, master's degree in business finance, you know, and, and works for Citibank. So I, I meet this incredible woman. You know, they say behind every great man is an even greater woman. Well, this is one of those examples, right? So I meet this amazing woman and, you know, um, I was fortunate enough to have grown enough in my life that she would be attracted to me, that I was able to have enough open-mindedness to be able to have conversations that were not dogmatic, that were not closed off, that where I had plenty of enough vulnerability to discuss myself, my life, my fears, right? Um, and in this culture in Costa Rica, it's very a machista culture. So men do not open up. They're not vulnerable. They do not, they, they, they shut down. Just, it's, it's more of just the opposite, the strong, silent man type. Right. And so um, she loved that. That's what she was looking for. Um, and she was who I was looking for. She was involved with everything. She's reading this, watching that, taking this course, doing like it's just like I was exhausted by watching her. She was just, you know, and we had made a decision that we weren't going to have kids. We met when we were both 42 years old. I already had my daughter. Um, and I was like, let's, you know, we don't need to have kids. Right. And she's like, oh, that ship sailed. Right. So let's just live our lives like just travel and learn and grow. And so I'm watching her and I'm like, gosh, it's just overwhelming. Right. I'm hanging my hat on these 12 steps and she cannot get enough. It's like I finish this course. Let me go into the next finish this course, go on to the next. And I go, there's got to be something to this. It's got to be something to this. So one day uh, she decides she's going to go to an NLP workshop, neuro linguistic programming. And I had, I was stuck. I was really, really stuck. And I said, hey, can I go with you? And she's like, what, really? And I said, yeah. She goes, yeah. I, I go, yeah, I'd like to go. Here's the beautiful thing about having an open mind. Here's the, whole, here's the cool thing about not being attached to things. Here's the cool thing about getting to a point where you're irritable, restless, and discontent just about wherever you're at. It could be your job. It could be your marriage. It could be um, a relationship. It could be your business. When you get there and somebody says, hey, I'm going to go check this out. You want to come? You're all in. And not only that, not only are you all in, you're all ears. Yeah. So I went to this workshop and I go, this is the most incredible process I've ever seen. It's so fast and it's so effective. And I dove all in. And I remember at, at some point in the weekend, it was just a two-day workshop to introduce you to NLP. 
and at the end it was like, Hey, you know what? We're having a practitioner training. If you want to become a practitioner. And my wife's like, I'm in, if you're in, I said, I'm in, let's do this. And she goes, why don't you ask him if he'll coach you one-on-one? -on -one? And I'm like, really? You think, you know, still with that, I'm not worthy. I'm not deserving. I'm not good enough. Who am I to ask for a coach to get a coach? Who am I to pay for a coach? It's just going to be wasted anyway. Cause I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not going to retain anything. Like it's just so powerful, the negative construct. And over the years, it only gets worse. So I hire this guy. And to this day, that was single-handedly one of the biggest turning points in my life was hiring him one-on-one -on -one as a coach. He took me to a, through a process that I now take people through every week. I have like six to seven clients that I work with every week. And this is what I do with them, right? <clears throat> and I'm getting coached by this guy. And I remember at one point, you know, because he, he's like, so what are you here for? Well, I'm not a millionaire yet. So I'm here because I want to be a millionaire. He goes, all right. So why do you want to be a millionaire? Well, because I want to be able to do whatever I want. I want to be able to buy whatever I want. I want a Range Rover and I want a, you know, beautiful house. I want to travel. Okay. So what does that mean? What does that feel like to you? You know, it's like freedom, man. He goes, oh, so you want freedom, right? And he starts breaking me down like that. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I want some freedom. What else do you want? And he starts going through and he starts listing all these values. He goes, we're going we're gonna to work from there. We're going to work from there, right? And so that's really where it all started to make some sense to me. It's like what I was looking for, right? Who, what was I actually seeking? What did I want to feel? Because really everything that we do in our lives is just in an attempt to feel something. Yeah, totally true. So we get to this point. And I just remember we were in this very, very deep session, this very deep part of the work. And he's like, so now what do you want? Right. And I'm super emotional and I'm just like, just verge of tears. Right. And he's, and he's like, and I'm, I'm on the verge of tears right now. Cause I'm right there. I'm sitting at this table and he's sitting catty quarter from me and he's looking at me and he's like, he's like, what do you want? I go, I just want the noise to stop. <sighs> I just want the noise to stop. You know, and I was crying just like I am right now. And he says, what's the noise? What's that noise? And of course, this noise that says I'm not good enough. <sighs> and he says, well, what's good enough? And I couldn't answer the question. And it, all the noise stopped. All the noise stopped. He goes, what is enough? What's your definition of enough? When will it be enough? How will you know it's enough? And he just kept asking one question after the other question after the other question. <sighs> I said, I guess I'm enough right now. He's like, breathe just breathe and in that moment it all made sense like it all made sense everything made sense right and then i said fuck i can do this <laughs> not only could i do this it's what i want to do 
this man was, this man saved my life. He was saving my life. He was changing my life. I would never be the same person again. And I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to heal people the way he has just healed me. And I'm not afraid to launch my, my product. I'm not afraid to launch anything. I'd already launched the podcast, you know, with the work, doing the work with my wife, you know, her and I had come up with this idea. I was driving to work one day and I just decided I was going to do a podcast, right? Like it was one of those things, but you know, caveat that with, I was burying myself in copious amounts of podcasts and audio books and CDs and everything that I could, I had an hour and a half commute there and back from work. So I was just downloading information, 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 information. And one day I'm driving, it's like, do a podcast on recovery. It was Gary V's book that I was listening to, Crush It. The Gary V's book, Crush It, that I was listening to when the voice came and said, you're going to do a podcast on recovery, right? And so three years later is when I got my coaching. And three months after I got coached, I launched my own coaching practice. So that was two years ago. That was, that was just two years ago, two and a half years ago. So two and a half years ago, I, I launched a coaching practice and I launched the membership community. I had no idea what I was doing. I was in a mastermind community. So I was like following what they were doing. I was just kind of modeling their membership model and their coaching structure. But really it was just about believing in myself. Like for the first time in my life, I believed in me. And I never believed in me in my entire life. And it was thank God for my wife because she used to always tell me, she goes, I wish you could see you the way I do. I wish you believed in you the way I believe in you. And that, that breaks you open, man. That, 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 that allows the heart to connect with the mind in a very different way. Yeah. For those of you that are connected spiritually, you know, what I believe is that everything's inside of me. The body, the mind, the spirit, divinity, it's all inside. I just need to tap into it. I just need to silence myself enough to ask the right questions and wait for the right answers and then take action and then succeed or fail. is not irrelevant. It's, it's really irrelevant. It's, it's what I learned from each one of these experiences. And then what's next? Like, that's my big question right now. Like my only question right now that I have for myself is what's next for me. Cause I've kind of, you know, reached a certain plateau in the membership and in my, my coaching and with the podcast. And so it's like, that just means that there's something new. There's a, what's next? There's a, there's there's got to be this next thing for me, right? And I haven't really, you know, taken my my public speaking to the next level. But 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 really, that's that's it in a nutshell. At some point, life is really just about the search for me. You're born, and you just start. That's it. Day one in search of me in search of yourself and learn in search of understanding why you were put on this earth and why you chose the experiences that you chose to have. Because we do, we choose all of these experiences. We choose all these experiences. They're here to teach us. And so it's a continuum. You continue to learn. And that's where I'm at. That's so Thank awesome. you for letting me share. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Um, so I have so many follow-up questions I've been writing down um, because I, I want to dig deep into some stuff. So when you when we first started, 
you said uh, you said that um, alcohol, your first drink, it, it felt like it reconnected you with you. Mm -hmm. And then you said kind of in the middle of the story where you were just chasing the money and the drinking and the stuff, you, you felt like you got lost in that whole thing. And then you said when you started working the steps, you found yourself. So I'm just curious, like Omar and Omar, if you were to go back and, and talk to the self that felt like alcohol was the key to you, do you still believe that? Do you still think that, or is that evolved now? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I used to think that what if, if I knew everything that I know now, would I have done it differently? Would I do it differently? It was just a key to unlock a door. We have all of these doors that we must open in our lives. So if you can just imagine a whole wall of doors and in between is these balconies. So you're walking in these balconies and there's stairs that are going up and down from all these doorways. And I have all these keys. And alcohol was just simply a key to open up a doorway for me to see me unencumbered by all of the bullshit and the programming and the nonsense that had been installed into my brain. So all of this stuff into my unconscious, into my subconscious, into my conscious was all this programming. The alcohol quiets all the noise and goes, this is who you really are, oh. So you're going to get for the first 15 minutes, you get an opportunity to be the most authentic version of you. After that, you're just a disaster. Okay, like that's just, it's train wreck. This is not the solution. It's just merely a window for you to say, aha, who gives a shit what anybody else thinks? Who cares what anybody else wants for you? Who cares if people say, hey, you're being too loud. Hey, stop doing this. Hey, sit still. Hey, whatever. No, right now in this moment, you're able to be you, who you were born to be, funny, bright, exuberant, attractive, you know, knowledgeable, wise. At this moment, that's who you are. So no, absolutely not. I tell my clients this all the time. You got an opportunity, to, you got a small window of possibilities that you were able to see in that moment, right? Tap into that. Let's, let's really dig deep into how you feel in those first moments. Forget about all the chaos that happens. We all know that that's not the solution. It was just the doorway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so good. So interesting. Um, and then uh, the other question I really had is like, I loved what you talked about, about um, just growing and, and growing beyond one thing. And I found that really true for me in my life as well is like, there's something there's, you know, my, my friend Stacy, she, she talks about it like a, a video game, right? Like we're in these levels and we have to repeat the level until we pass the level. And so we might repeat this level over and over and over and over again, but then we pass the level, like we're on the new level. And, um, and so the stuff that, you know, maybe was, really important or interesting 
in the past level isn't as interesting now. You know, maybe we can deal with those enemies much easier, or maybe the enemies have totally changed, or maybe we're, you know, mm -hmm. in a water world when we were in a nice world before. Who knows, right? But it it becomes something where I liked how you talked about um, that idea of of growing and not having to stay because I. I find that really true. Like the things that, you know, the first books that maybe I read or the first programs I first attended, you know, they had something to tell me at the time that I was ready to hear. And then even though now I don't know that I would go back, it's not make, it doesn't make that any less, right? It doesn't make that any, any different um, or any less. It just is, I needed a different thing now. So we always need to to keep growing and keep evolving and keep changing. And I think that's, that's really cool. Well, and, and also, you know, on that, you know, on that note, okay, there is that experience, that older, when you level up, right? So you'll level up and then you'll level up again and then you'll level up. That's the idea. Okay. Video games, there's no ending, right? It's just when the game's over, you start again, the game's over, you start again, right? It's like, I, I just keep, and then I, I try and level up and I do the best I can, right? But there's no, there's nowhere in the video game where you're just kind of chilling, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, oh, okay, so here's where it's all over. I've reached, I've reached the end of the game and I'm just going to sit here in this section of the game, you know, for the rest of them, I'm going to retire here, right? No, it's just like, okay, once the game's done, I start again. What I learned from this, and when I go back, like when I look at my childhood now, very different than the way I looked at it a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, as I was leveling up. My whole story for many years was a victimization of how I was victimized, of how the world did me wrong, my parents did me wrong. So the story hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. It's just I have reframed the story to a much more empowering version of it. Okay, so how do I learn to stand up for myself? I had to be put into situations where I was forced to stand up to myself. How do I learn to defend myself? I had to have bullies in my life. Okay, how do I learn how to overcome whatever this thing called ADD or the fact that I have to wear glasses, right? It's my resiliency it was building up my resilience, my ability to think outside the box, my ability to be um, a problem solver, okay? So all of this stuff now is like all of these things that have happened to you, the poor yous, this was all designed for you to learn how to be this man, how to teach other people how to overcome, okay? How to overcome, how to continue to overcome that no matter what happens, I lose my business, I lose my money, I lose my marriage, I lose whatever, right? What I don't lose is my values. Mm -hmm. I don't lose my character. I don't lose all the learnings, right? And so now looking at that, there is no victimization. There's just different areas of your life or different moments in your life where you are challenged. And in some cases, they are some greater challenges than others. But make no mistake about it, you will get through it if you choose. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, we're gonna do, um, every year we do a live event, we actually just decided on the theme for it. Earlier today, we had a meeting and the theme is gonna be, it's time for a new story. And mm. it really is, 
it's not that the circumstances change. The new story is in the, in the telling, right? It's in the meanings you've created and seeing it as happening to you and being victimized and, and being out of control or happening for you and it being just, you know, part of the, part of the level, right? So I love that so much. That's awesome. Yeah, if, um, I hadn't, if I hadn't done all of the things that I had done, I wouldn't be on this call with Annie Grace. That's so great. <laughs> I love it. So two questions to, to, to finish off here, Omar. First of all, um, well, actually three, three questions, because I didn't realize you lived in Heredia. So that's where I lived when I lived in Costa Rica. So that's cool. What? Yeah. I went to a Pura Vida um, Instituto de Lenguaje. I'm sure my Spanish is rusty, but uh, that's very good. It was, yeah, for like, it was really fun. It's beautiful, really cool. Um, so, anyway, my two questions are first of all, where can people find you if they're interested in your coaching, especially the NLP that you were talking about? I mean, it sounds fascinating. Um, where, where is the best place for people to find you? OmarPinto.com. So omarpinto.com has all my coaching and the membership, but the share podcast too. So you've got two. go to the share podcast, spell share S H A I R stands for sharing helps alcoholics in recovery. And so those two things right there, you can contact me. They both talk about my coaching, but it's the easiest way to find me and send me a message. That's so awesome. And then my second question, um, which we kind of touched on, but I'd, I'd love for you to just, you know, think about it again. But if you were going to go back to uh, the childhood you, or maybe even let's not go back to your childhood you, let's go, let's go back to the you actually who had 10 years, but, but was feeling stuck. Um, and just, just tell, tell yourself about what life is like now and what's opened up for you. I'd love to hear it. Well, would I tell me back then? Yeah. I would say life is, life is not easy. Life is always going to present challenges. Don't run from them. Okay. Um, I know that for so much of your life, you've run from challenges. You've been afraid of adversity. You've been afraid of change. Um, you don't need to be dive right in. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be moments where you're not going to know what to do. Stay close to the people that are the closest to you. Lean into them. Ask for help. Be open. Stay open because nothing, it's, nothing's going to kill you. Nothing's going to kill you. It's only going to make you stronger. You know this. You've proved it to yourself. You've survived every failure that's ever happened to you. You are a success. Be strong and be fearless. You can do it. Oh, so good. Such a good message for all of us. Love it. Love it. Well, this has been so much fun, Omar. Thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your story. It's powerful. You're very gifted with words. Thank you so much. I was super excited to come and join you. Didn't you have a third question? Oh, my third point was about Edetia. Oh, okay. That was the third point. All right. I was like, wait a minute. There was one more thing over yeah. there. Okay. I know. I, no. Took, no, I, was just, I was just excited to talk about that connection. Well, I would, I would be excited if you came down so we could spend some time together. I could take you to my favorite restaurants. But again, awesome. thank you so much. I love the work that you're doing. I admire you so much. I'm, I'm actually 
you know, I, I, I do a lot of due diligence and research on you. Just go, how does she do it? Cause I need to be more like Annie, right? <laughs> In the most healthy and positive way, as far as modeling goes. So thank you for, for being a leader. Yeah, you are a leader and, and you, you carry a big stick. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for coming and sharing your, your experience. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Have you tried the alcohol experiment? Okay, if not, drop everything and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. This free 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You remember it was that version of you that's living your most joyful life, the version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or to have a good time and is having more fun than ever. And again, this is a totally free challenge that will change everything for you. So learn more and join me 100% free at thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.